Hey friends, I'm Bryant Russ, and in partnership with Christian Schools International, you're listening to Lighting a Fire. The story and these texts we call the Bible have never been separated from living communities that are living the story and embodying it, and they're made to go together. So these texts are both the product, but also the fuel for the movement of God's people. So Tim, um, obviously you've you've grown just this incredible audience over the years. Uh, have you ever been surprised by just how much traction your work has gained uh, with with both Christians, non Christians, people curious to learn more about the Bible? Uh, what's that been like for you? Yeah, yeah, it's been one gigantic journey of surprises. Um, yeah, we had no, we we didn't even really have a master plan. Um, we just, John, uh, my partner in co-founding the Bio Project, had been in the business of making short animated explainer videos. So he had an animation studio up and running. And we just kind of started this as a side project just to see what would happen. And uh, and so we uh, were able to raise some money and made a few. And it just we just watched it all unfold from, from hmm. there. So our, you know, our target audience that we only actually said out loud to ourselves a couple years into the project was really ourselves. So somebody, you know, who's grown up in or around the church or in Western culture has some familiarity with the Bible, is connected to the Christian tradition in some way, but just has a lot of questions and is curious and wants to understand how things make sense. And so... Mm. That's us. <laughs> and so uh, we're kind of we're, we're creating the videos for ourselves in those first couple of years. And then we found that when we hit towards that audience, the 18 to 35 year old Christian with lots of questions, we, we end up covering a bunch of other ages and demographics as well. Hmm. So yeah. how would you describe, I think I've, I've got an idea of how I would explain what, what I would guess is just the, the secret sauce to your videos. But from your perspective, how, how would you describe it? What is it that you guys do that connects so powerfully with such a broad audience? Um, well, I, I think one is uh, the visual medium. Um, totally. Using the visual medium as a mode of communication, that's uh, pretty universal, you know? As long as long far back as humans have been drawing on caves and this kind of hmm. thing, but uh, there's something about the the digital medium also, where you can create whole worlds, narrative, visual worlds in seconds. And the idea of the short film or the short video, you know, this is a whole medium that's grown up in the digital age. The platform of YouTube. Uh, has made this all possible, you know? We couldn't, hmm. uh, there's no way we could have the traction that we've been able to have without YouTube. And then I, I think part of it too is John and I both care about really clear and simple communication, mm -hmm. but, but not to um, uh, make things simplistic, but to get to the essence of the most complex, challenging things in the Bible. And so we just, we both care about that and we both care about not using complicated language. And so somehow all those pieces together just kind of made this thing that we discovered and uh, we've had a really fun time doing it. Hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, as a Bible teacher, I'm a little nervous you're going to work me out of a job here soon, <laughs> but <it's laughs> yeah. Well, so, but what, obviously what we can't replace is a community of learning. 
Yeah. Um, and the relationship, the mentoring relationship that teachers have with their students. But uh, in many ways, I, I'm trying to create the resource that I wish that I had when I was mm. first mm. Uh, learning to, what it means to follow Jesus, which for me was in my early 20s and reading the Bible for the first time. But also what I find is I, I even have created resources that I wish I had. So instead of talking for 30 minutes, I can just show a video and then start a conversation and, yes, and a yes. dialogue in, the, in a classroom setting. And so you're able to be more strategic with your time, I think, as a communicator. That's so true. And that's, that is the fun part about being in a classroom with students. After watching one of your videos, the conversation that follows, uh, you do such an amazing job of opening that door to, to the world of the scriptures that students are then able to play in and explore. And that's a blast for sure. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's, that's what we hope. That's our, that's our dream <laughs> and hope for what we're doing. So I'm, I'm really, really glad when it lands. So let's go back to your 20s. You said that's when you started, uh, you became a follower of Jesus, started spending more time with the Bible. How would you describe, how has the Bible changed or grown or transformed in your understanding over the years in terms of like what it is and how it works? Mm. Um, mm. Has, has it kind of gone through phases and like, oh, the Bible's more literary than I thought it was? Or, or can you describe what that's been like for you? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it's been one, one new horizon of learning after hmm. another, after another. Oh, I love that. And up for, I don't know, going on over 20 years, I've, I've been able to dedicate my full time <laughs> towards hmm. uh, biblical scholarship and, and teaching and preaching. And, and uh, so, you know, I, I, I grew up in a, a, a Christian family. My parents are followers of Jesus but they both had really strict religious upbringings. And so they wanted to give my sister and I lots of space to decide if we were going to follow Jesus. And so uh, they, I didn't grow up with much Bible baggage. Like they weren't pushing it on us hmm. in any, any kind of pressured way. And so, um, you know, I was introduced to the Bible, one through a outreach ministry to skateboarders in Portland. And really what I was introduced to was Jesus and the stories about Jesus. That's really what captivated my imagination was the stories and teachings of Jesus being shared with me by other skateboarders. So it's by my peers, you know. And so there it was actually less about the Bible and it was just more about Jesus. Like, wow, mm -hmm. this, he's amazing. The way he treats people, what he was able to say and do, the integrity. You know, and I... I it was just all hitting me in a brand new way in my early 20s. And what I noticed, however, was that these texts, these scriptures, mattered a, a lot to Jesus. He was constantly hmm. talking about them, quoting from them, telling stories based on them. And that was really the first invitation, was that if I want to grow deeper in my commitment to be following Jesus, I need to understand the whole framework and the story that he thinks he's a part of. Hmm. So that was the first step. So it wasn't, you know, John, again, my partner of the project, had more baggage about the Bible as being treated like a theology dictionary. That was really hmm. common in the tradition he grew up in. So it was less about learning how to read the parts of the Bible for what the authors meant, but it was more about where is the answer for this question about God's sovereignty or about the totally. gift of the Spirit, and do you know the chapter and verse? So whereas for me, it was just diving into these books as, as 
whole story is set to poetry. So then I had a couple professors who introduced me to the Bible as really sophisticated, ancient Israelite literature um, that, that was inspired by the Spirit of God, but the Spirit chose to use these brilliant ancient literary artists from the people of Israel. And so that was my first paradigm. Really, this is my first classes I ever took mm. on the Bible. And so I look back now and I'm so grateful because I was just introduced to the world of Jewish scholarship uh, and learning on the Bible, which is, you know, they've been reading the Bible for, you know, 1,500 years more than Christian, <laughs> Christians have, you know? Hopefully, yeah, so, right. So there's that. Um, so that was a whole new world. Um, I got really interested in the language and then manuscript history of the Bible. And then I was just obsessed with figuring out the formation of the Bible and the history of how it was made and the manuscripts. That was a whole season. <laughs> uh, and then I've kind of come back to the season of just seeing how uh, unified and coordinated the whole collection of the scriptures is to tell a unified message. Um, which doesn't mean it's uniform. It's really diverse, all the different kinds of literature in the Bible. But there is one overarching kind of thrust that um, leads to the Messiah, who I believe is Jesus. And that's the story we're trying to tell through what we're doing with the Bible Project. Hmm. Well, I love that. Tim, not to unload my own baggage, this is cheaper than therapy. So I just started a <laughs> podcast so I can <laughs> talk Fair to enough. people and ask my questions. But yeah, I get it. What, what if, uh, would you say, is the Bible accessible? Because what you're describing is like, oh, amen. And you've done the work of history and culture and language to get at what this library of books is doing, what it's up to, what it cares about. Mm. But there are many historically and globally who, who you know, certainly haven't had that kind of access to, yeah. to all, you know, all those tools. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes even especially, you know, sitting with a ninth grader who's stuck and Jesus just called his mom woman. And, you know, there's these there's these yeah. barriers, right, of like language and culture. And, and sometimes I wonder, man, this is it's it can seem inaccessible at times. And if this is uh, revealing who mm-hmm. God is, does that seem problematic to you? Or how would you explain that to someone such as myself yep. uh, who, yeah. who's there? Yeah, well, it is problematic. Um, and it's a problem that, that God apparently chose to create. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and the logic of that problem is actually right on page one of Genesis, which tells us that the, the cosmos we inhabit is a place where the divine purpose, where God's purposes and plans for where this whole thing is going, the main instrument that God has chosen to work through is humans. Um, this is what part of what the image of God means in Genesis 1, that God's will and purpose and rule over creation is mediated and ideally meant to be carried out through his human images, which is why he blesses them uh, with the gift of his own abundant life, and then he tells them to rule it right on his behalf and so Hmm. it's just that that simple little idea is actually underneath so much of what's going on in the biblical story god's will is that his will and purposes and what he wants to say to us is carried out primarily through people Um, and that just creates lots of problems Uh, let's just talk about language and culture barriers right and so um, you know, God chose to enter into his own story 
um, in the person of Jesus. But of course, Jesus was born to a young Jewish teenager. He grew up speaking Aramaic, probably knew some Greek, but he didn't know English or Spanish, you know? And hmm. so uh, he appeared at one time, at one point in history, speaking to those issues and moments of history, but doing something that was for all of human history, past, his present, and future into our day. And so it's apparently how God has chosen to wire this thing. <laughs> hmm. um, and so what that means is that to become a part of the story that Jesus saw himself bringing to fulfillment and then opened up to all the families of the nations means learning another people's story as though it is my story. Um, and that's the story of the people of Israel. And so there's just nothing for it. <laughs> if I want to follow Jesus, I need to learn the story that he's a part of, which means I, I need to at least uh, learn the discipline and habit of understanding what the story that these texts are, t are telling. Now, I should say uh, the story and these texts we call the Bible have never been separated from living communities of Jesus that are living the story and embodying That's it. Important. And, and they're, yes, and they're made to go together. The Bible was produced in and through the work of the Spirit by people in Israel and early Christianity. And the, so these texts are both the product, but also the fuel for the movement of God's people. And so they're meant to go hand in hand. And so encountering a Bible apart from a living community that is teaching you how to read it and how to live in it, that, that's, you know, that's the ideal combo right there. Um, and so in theory, if somebody's a part of a local church um, and that church is healthy, there's going to be people who can help others understand how to bridge the gap and enter into this uh, ancient future faith, <laughs> uh, as Robert Weber once put it. Hmm. Oh, I love that. that. That's really helpful, actually, because as a, as a Bible teacher and in a Christian school setting, there's sometimes that that sentiment from students. And I totally get it because I've been there and am mm -hmm. there sometimes too. Like, is it worth it? All this, this yeah. history and culture. And I don't know who yeah. Amos is talking about here. Oh, and I don't know what the heck's yeah. going on over there. Is yeah. it worth it? Well, sure. But think of it this way. You know, there's a, <clears throat> there's a gap. There's a cultural language and history gap. Um, whether we're no matter what part of the Bible we're opening up to, it, that needs to be overcome in some way. Now, some people are really going to nerd out and like build a full-on fortified personal bridge over that gap. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then other people will just need to learn how to rely on the bridges that other people have built, and so that they can cross and learn from the work of other people. But th this is actually not strange. We do this every day. If someone is a part of a family, there is a culture gap between children and parents <laughs> that mm -hmm. needs to be bridged every day, and between spouses, husbands and wives, between siblings, right? Between our friends. Totally, totally. In, in a way, every human I come into contact with is another culture <laughs> mm. that I need to bridge the gap. And it's learning the skills of how to... Um, see the world through another person's perspective or another person's language is one of the wonderful opportunities that we have to grow and develop as humans. Hmm. And so it's not different than what we are already doing every day in our relationships. We're just now doing it in relationship to this, again, this story that's told through these texts 
um, and mediated to us through a living community of faith. And so for me, it's just in, in, enlarged, enlarged my humanity hmm. <laughs> and my, yeah. my, my view of, of the world and the complexity of, of the human story in so many ways. It's, it's enriched my life just by having to immerse myself in, in another ancient culture. And hmm. everybody benefits when we learn how to do that, whether it's a lot or just a little bit. Hmm. Oh, amen. I think I probably would have punched myself in the face if my high school self would heard would have heard what I'm about to say. But that part of that process, when you realize there is a community here that's that's engaging this text and yeah. and looking at the world around us, that's actually really exciting and cool. Especially, hmm. I mean, I love like uh, in opening a commentary is is this exciting process, or maybe has hmm. become an exciting process for me to realize. Yeah. I mean, I've been asking questions of the Bible for since I was in about sixth grade. Hmm. I don't think I've asked a single question that I discovered, oh, no one's ever asked this question before. Yeah. Every time it's led me to, oh, yeah. here, this conversation's already going, and mm -hmm. I get to listen in mm -hmm. and sit at the feet of some people who've asked this question before. And th that can be a, a really cool and exciting process. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's taken me many years to figure out the significance of that. I keep rediscovering the significance of that. And then to realize like how how amazing is it that I, you know, I have so much in common with these you know, Germans from 500 years ago. Mm. <laughs> and uh, you know, these the Africans on the other side of the planet right now and whatever it is. Uh these people from all over the world and cultures and history who are all thinking and processing through how do I live faithfully in this moment, which might be different moments because if, if it's people from the past, uh, to understand these texts and what it means to respond to them. And yeah, man, it's it's the coolest thing to be a part of. Uh, mm, yeah, the, totally. The, the, the community that is coming around the Bible and the story of Jesus and trying to understand it and live it. Yes, and it forces us to learn from the insights of others, which is kind of back to that thing we were just talking about where mm. it's... Uh, yeah, so learning to read the Bible can actually be one of the most important formative experiences of learning the value of multiculturalism. <laughs> mm, oh, yes. Are you with me? And I, right, in, right. In theory, that's a high value in Western culture, mm -hmm. uh, though sometimes I wonder. But uh, uh, it, I think it's an amazing formative experience. But you're right. You know, when you're when you're a teenager, who cares about all this? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I certainly didn't. Uh, but, you know, all I cared about was Thrasher magazine, reading that and, and skateboarding, you know. So I, I, I understand how that works. But, but you're right about just this finding something so deeply human, even in the biblical text with, yeah. say, like Lamentations, right? You can read that and realize, oh, you know, it, you can get the, you, you can understand Lamentations in one sense and totally miss this beating heart that's, existing in the biblical text right yeah, and yeah, the sure. experience of loss and suffering and mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and yeah when student i think when students get that and experience it it's like wow this isn't what i thought it was yeah yeah the, the, totally yeah i mean, yeah these these texts were created by some of the most brilliant literary theological poetic minds from the ancient mm -hmm. world and um, and God used them as a vehicle to explore, I mean, the core questions that every teenager is actually asking. Right, right, right. <laughs> For right, elementary right. school, who am I? Where on earth am I? 
what are the real problems with everyone that I see around me, including myself, and what are the real solutions on offer that are mm. true? Um, and is there someone uh, that, that is the solution on offer that I can look to? And uh, these are pretty universal questions that start quite young. And, uh, and the biblical uh, poets and storytellers have am amazing ways to invite us into those complex questions. But it, 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 again, it takes up some broadening of our imagination and our literary sensibilities. You know, one of, one of the gifts that one of my first kind of Bible professors um, gave to me was he had this uncanny ability to show how the themes at work in a given biblical poem or story were actually the things at the front lines of pop culture or politics or cultural discussion, you know? And so, uh, he, and I think developing, especially as a teacher and communicator, developing the ability to see the, the, the key issues the biblical authors mm. are getting at and that Jesus are getting at, they're the same issues <laughs> that we are facing today. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Um, just, but just in different cultural forms. And so um, learning to bridge that gap is just, uh, it, was, it was such a gift that he, he, he would give to me where he could, you know, we could read a psalm and then, you know, he could play a clip from whatever is on the top 10 charts, you know, and be like, it's about the same thing. Oh, like, gosh, the I same love that. struggles. And uh, so that, that's less about learning to understand the Bible, but learning how to bridge uh, the, the issues and themes that work in the Bible into our own cultural setting. And it takes a lot of work uh, as a communicator, but it's, it's really worth it, especially when you're trying to help uh, younger people to discover what it means for them to live in the world, but through the lenses of the, the story of Jesus. Hmm. Oh, so, so cool. I love that. Changing gears a little bit, Tim. One thing you guys do so well is... I feel like, uh, especially when you think about Christianity, the spectrum of opinions, perspectives, interpretations, in, in just in the States, just the United States right now, yeah. I mean, it's quite a spectrum. You guys, I mean, there's always going to be internet trolls out there, but for the most part, I feel like yeah. your work has been really well received by a, a wide range of people. Mm. How do you do that? What is it about what you guys are doing that that really diverse, different communities can say, yeah, that that this is helpful. We need this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a yep. That's a great question. Um, I think about it a lot. So does John. <laughs> so does our team. I think I think there's a couple factors. One, um, I've always been fascinated from pretty early on, again in my journey of learning the Bible and then learning the landscape of church history and the history of mm -hmm. Christian theology and doctrine. I was always really interested in just trying to get a map for all the different groups and where the fault lines, so to speak, are, or where the, <laughs> where the bound, what are the boundary line issues that keep that group from wanting to be connected to this group and that group. And so I've just been fascinated with that. You should personally. come to a Christian um, school sometime, Tim. <laughs> the fault lines are all and, over. <laughs> oh, oh, totally. And in church, you know, church, Christian uh, community, uh, yeah, church ministries. Sure. And I, I totally, so I've just been interested in, in understanding that, the, the yeah, scope, yeah. especially of, of just the diversity of Protestantism. And um, the, the other factor is what, um, 
so I became sensitive to what those issues are. So I, I know uh, I, I've tried to learn how to avoid tr unnecessarily triggering people's defenses. Mm, wow, um, that's pretty wise. So that's one. The second thing is what we're attempting to do is it's a, it's a mode of reading the Bible that I think is um, native to what the biblical authors are trying to do, which is just understand the Bible on its own terms what its authors are communicating in their context, in the, in the literary forms that they're doing it. And so it's called biblical theology. And, and so instead of, we're not trying to build out a whole system uh, of Christian belief with the Bible and using the Bible to answer all of our questions. And that's usually where you get all the diversity. And so uh, for the most part, we're just trying to represent the story and the claims that the biblical authors themselves are advancing. And uh, when you do that, what you find is you're like bowling right down the center lane mm. of the Christian <laughs> tradition. Um, and unfortunately, because the divisive topics in the Bible are what most people tend to be trained about and to focus on so that they can go work and be ministers in their own tribe. And so what people tend to not do is spend as much time on what's down the center lane because they think, well, it's in common, so we all agree on it. What do we need to learn about it more? And mm. for me, that's where the action is, is actually uh, understanding uh, the, the core biblical story and claims of, uh, of that story. And it turns out to be a lot more sophisticated and interesting than even I thought. Uh, I'm convinced of that as the years go by. So that's uh, maybe another way to respond to your, to your question. We're trying to do the right thing and trying to create something that can serve Catholics, Protestants, and the whole spectrum of the Protestant tradition. And inevitably, we have to show our cards on some matters, you know, but I always try and word things in a way that even somebody who might have a different interpretation would at least say, well, I have, I see it differently, but well, that's a good point, And that's really interesting and hmm. kind of move forward. So anyway. Oh. That even just your process has been really educational, I think, for me and many others in Christian schools about how you talk about things that, that maybe could be controversial or, you know, in a number of videos you say some Christians think this, but others think, I mean, it's just, it's such yeah. a gracious approach to, as you're inviting us to explore the Bible, that that's just so helpful. And you've yeah. modeled, you guys have modeled that really well, not to fanboy too hard right now. No, but, no. Know, but, well, I, yeah, but I, no, I, I appreciate that. But again, we're just... Um, in seminary, uh, Zondervan, a Christian publisher, has a big academic theology, you know, part of their press. They have like 40 or 50 of these are called counterpoint books. Hmm. And it's three views on the atonement, four views on the baptism of the spirit, three views on evolution and creation. So yeah, I just, I devoured all of these when I was in seminary because they're so helpful. You hmm. get the landscape of every all these different issues. But what what I would happen was I would read the first view of every book and go, oh, surely that's correct. Hmm. <laughs> and then you would read the critique of it by the other <laughs> views and then, yeah. and then the second view. And then you're like, oh yeah, what was I thinking? This is the right. And you go through that. You just go through that every one. And you realize like, man, these are people of all goodwill. Hmm. They're all trying to give their best heart of the heart and mind to understand, and they come to genuinely different conclusions. And 
you go through that enough times with enough parts of the Bible that I hope it's created some humility. <laughs> and mm. so we're just, we're trying to embody that. Um, there's so much more that Christians agree on than they disagree, but of course that's not what Christians are known for. And so we're trying to uh, maybe help scope out a, a new way to think about those differences. Ah, hmm. oh, I love that. Amen. You've described the Bible as sophisticated a number of times in just our short conversation. And mm. and totally, I mean, amen, your videos do a good job of showing just how sophisticated these biblical authors are being. I think maybe one of the challenges that comes out of that mm. is, especially for elementary teachers, yeah. when we're introducing sophisticated literary stuff, mm. I mean, so for just example, I've got... Um, four little girls at home. And I read uh, the Jonah out of a, out of a little storybook Bible a couple of days ago. Yeah. And it was basically Jonah one through three and, and the Ninevites, you know, repent and Jonah's like, yeah, we did it, you know, and the end. And uh, obviously missing some of that, like sophisticated, some of the feel, not just theologically yeah. sophisticated, but also there's so much literary sophistication yeah. unfolding in the Bible. Yeah. How do you, I, I mean, we don't teach, you know, to kill a mockingbird to, to first graders, <laughs> right? No, totally. Yeah. So how do we attempt teaching or introducing students to the biblical text without having to like undo it all later, right? And say, well, actually it's a lot more complicated than, than you were first introduced. And is there value in still introducing students to, to the biblical text? Yes, I do think so. Um, <laughs> and, I, you know, I, uh, I'm a father of young boys. My, my boys are seven and nine, and I'm trying to figure that out for myself. Hmm, um, totally. I, I know one way that I think is really unhelpful is the story that you just told, <laughs> which is um, people who create these rewritten versions of biblical stories that don't actually match hmm. what's in the biblical story. Um, so when you actually leave out a one quarter of the story of Jonah, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I just, we, we're actually making up our own Bible now at this point. And I think that's terribly unhelpful because, because, and this is what a lot of children's Bible curriculum does is because these stories are so compl either complicated or violent and full of sexual violence often that, you know, we create these rewritten versions, raise kids on them, and then when they actually go to read the Bible on their own, they're scandalized. Yeah, yeah I, for I, sure. In seven years of pastoral ministry, one of the most constant drumbeats was people, because they're excited about their faith, diving into the Bible for the first time, and they are scandalized. They don't know if they can believe this anymore. <laughs> because And, and what they're, all they're doing is processing just how, um, just the depth and the power of the spotlight that the biblical story puts on the human condition in all of its severe brokenness. Hmm. But people don't expect that from the Bible. <laughs> hmm. And so one, I, I just, one conviction and I'm trying to embody and we try and do it in the videos is to be tasteful, but also to, you know, pull no punches when, uh, to, and to try and tell the whole story. Uh, as it's related and in the Bible. So I, I do think there is an age appropriateness to some parts of the Bible. It's not children's literature. And so there are some parts that 
I'm saving till my boys are a little older, you know, mm. unless but, there's animals in it. If there's animals in it, you got to give it to them. As, yeah, as I guess so. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, uh, I think n- narrative, good st- stories yeah, are yeah. one of the most universal modes of communication. And so I'm constantly amazed at what my boys can pick up and discern, mm. you know, when I, when I work through like the Joseph story, I've been telling them the Joseph story. Uh, at at bedtime, you know, and uh, I'm amazed at the things that they pick up when I, because I'm trying to I'm trying to retell it in a way that's getting all of the reversals and the upside mm. downs and the ways that people do an action in one part of the story, but it comes back on them later. It's really amazing, um, and they notice that stuff. And so I don't know. I think kids, these stories were meant to form whole generations. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm not giving a concise answer here, and that's because I don't have, okay. have one. But uh, but I do think rewriting the, the biblical stories in a way that actually doesn't match the actual story, I don't think that's helpful. I think we're setting hmm. people up for more more trouble than we're um, we're saving them from. Yeah, we did. Uh, we talked about Jonah just last week in our prophets class, and I, I enjoyed it as a teacher. I have about ninety of these kids in a day, and mm. um, we start by saying, "Hey, how, how would you would you describe you know this story really quite well?" And probably ninety percent of them are like, "Yeah, totally." And and then we get to the part where he's where he runs, and we say, "Why mm. did he run?" Like we take out a note card, and everybody has to write down, "Why did he run?" And mm. he's afraid of getting beaten up or impaled or whatever. You know, the Assyrians are going to do something terrible to him, and he's mm. afraid. And and then we get to chapter four, and they pull out the note card. And last week, a hundred percent of my students were were wonderfully wrong, you know, and surprised yeah. by yeah. why is he actually upset and. And part of that's really quite cool. We don't have, I mentioned mm. To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. We don't have a, a, I don't think there's a comparison, a book that you, mm. you're you introduced to or a, a library that you're introduced to in kindergarten and first grade and sixth mm. grade and 12th mm. grade. Let's go back to this again and again yeah. Yeah, that's in right. community. That's that's actually kind of a cool, can be a cool thing. That, yeah, ab- absolutely. And and there's, you know, these these texts are designed not to give up their full meaning on the first read or the first mm, telling. Mm. Um, and especially how all of the hundreds of little mini stories uh, work together and cycle through repeated themes and so on. Um, and so uh, it, that's right. It, it's not the kind of book where, oh, I've read that. So I read it. <laughs> mm. uh, it's more the, the kind of book where every season of life you go back and reread uh, and you'll see new things, and it will resonate in brand new ways. It, it's kind of like uh, my my wife is uh, German, uh, or has a strong German heritage, and her grandma makes this super super dense German holiday bread called Pfeffernussi, um in these little like sticks. And uh, I swear they're like cement; they're so dense, <laughs> <laughs> they're so hard to bite through. But, you know, the whole thing is you bite off or break off a bite and then you can kind of chew on it for 10 minutes or whatever. And uh, hmm. so uh, it's like that. It's just the, these texts are so dense. <laughs> hmm. They're not meant to be just bitten off, you know, and chewed and swallowed in an instant. They're meant for a lifetime of rereading. And so beginning that process, modeling it through, you know, uh, education in the younger years, I, th- I think it's crucially it's, it's a wonderful opportunity. But again, this is all a live experiment for me too, as I raise my hmm. boys. So, 
a student just asked me a few days ago, does the Bible change its mind? I, I think I would maybe describe that as like theologically dynamic. Like, uh, how, how do you walk with students in that? It was coming out of uh, Ruth in particular. We were talking about how <laughs> Moabites are, are for, forbidden from the assembly. And yet later on, you've got this <laughs> Moabite who's the, the grandma of David and Jesus. And like, yes. what, do you, what do we do? Uh, how would you answer that question? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a dynamic happening w- within the Bible itself. So, so it's more it's more a question of um, say for for that example that's a, uh, the first thing about no Moabites enter into the assembly. So that was a command given through Moses to the children of the Exodus generation before they go into the Promised Land um, in the Book of Deuteronomy. So what you'll find there's 613 commands that come through Moses that are given to the people of Israel, and um, what you'll find actually is that's a really regular pattern where there's one, some law that's given, but then some story later on in the Bible will invert or reverse what, what the law was. It's really, it's really interesting. I'm actually still trying to kind of figure it out because I'm, I'm convinced there's a whole bunch of things going on there. But, what, but one of them is that the, the laws given in the first few books of the Bible do not represent God's ideal will for all people of all time. Um, they represent what God said to those people for that moment in their role in the biblical story. And um, there, there, is a, there is a divine wisdom revealed in all of those laws. Um, but this is exactly what Jesus said, for example, when somebody came up to him and asked him a question about divorce. Hmm. And um, they quote from the book of Deuteronomy. And what Jesus explicitly says was, listen, that command was given to you because you're stubborn. <laughs> And uh, because you're selfish, that doesn't represent God's ideal will. And then he go- what he goes back to is the story of the Garden of Eden to look for God's ideal purpose for marriage. And so there's a lot of, again, inner sophistication between how different parts of the Bible relate to each other. And what it does is it forces us to, um, to stop using it as just a one-stop shopping center to answer yes. Um, all of our moral or theological questions. The Bible is meant to shape what we think and believe, and it's meant to shape how we live. But it does it by means of the story and by patterns and by the, the ethical worldview being advanced throughout the whole story leading to Jesus. And um, the habit of choosing one passage and just pulling it out and seeing there, see, that's the answer to everything. You have to be very careful because what is very possible is that by focusing on just one sentence in the Bible, you're going to distort and ignore all of these other factors that give you a much more nuanced picture that could answer that question. Hmm. So, uh, yes, that's not a quick skill to develop. It takes a community, actually, to learn how to develop that skill. But uh, that's a good example. So I didn't respond to your, I didn't respond to your question very no, no, precisely, I think... but it's a really good question. I think this conversation is just is again a testimony to the complicatedness, the the layeredness, the sophistication of the text. That it's it's hard yeah. to give just that boom, here's the answer yeah, so sure. often. But we're yeah. invited into something that's really quite large and old and and yep. and uh yeah, that, that takes time for sure. Mm-hmm. So in, in the midst of that process, do you have one or two kind of core uh, I don't know what the word is, maybe approaches for young people just starting out and reading the Bible, mm. um, key things to keep in mind as they open the book. Mm. Sure, sure. 
Um, you know, I, not everybody, everybody has a unique prehistory that they come to the Bible with, whether it's very little prehistory uh, or a lot of baggage. So my, my experience of uh, first encountering Jesus, not through reading the Bible, but through hearing my peers retell the stories about him and quote from his teachings. And um, I, I am forever grateful that that was where it all started for me, hmm. um, that it was about the person of Jesus. And then the role of the Bible came after that. Uh, the Bible helped me understand this Jesus that I was captivated by. Hmm. And so I know you can't reduplicate that for most people, maybe even. Um, but I do think there's something there where I encourage, if somebody's trying to do a refresh or a restart or start reading the Bible, I actually, I really encourage them to just hang out in the four gospels of the New Testament that retell the story of Jesus. And what I find is if somebody really is captivated and falls in love with Jesus, what they will start to notice is that to really get who he is and to understand what it means to be a follower of him, you have to somehow take into account the rest of this book. Hmm. <laughs> I just find that's a that's often a better motivator uh, and a, an easier strategy than just, hey, go start on page one, you know? Because <laughs> uh, just the first 10 pages of Genesis are going to cause a world of complicated <laughs> questions. And uh, they're important questions, but um, I, I think they might be second tier to the core issues that, at work that, that are in, in your face when you're reading the story of mm -hmm. Jesus. So that's maybe one thing. Uh, and then the second would be um, find, go find somebody in your church community or in your circle that knows more about the Bible than you do um, and ask for either a resource, whether it's um, a guide, a Bible study guide, a Bible dictionary, uh, and just learn how to learn from others as you read through the biblical story. Yeah, to your to your first point, it's almost I, sometimes we make the Bible the end rather than the means to knowing this God and this Jesus yeah, yeah. to whom the Bible is actually about. Yeah, no, I, no, that's right. Um, you know, when Jesus at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, this the famous uh, the Great Commission, and when he commissions his disciples uh, to go out, what he says is, "All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me." So go out to the nations, you know, baptizing, making disciples, and teach them, teach them everything I'm, I've commanded you. And so the logic there is the, the teaching and the writing of the biblical authors is in the service of the authority and wisdom and guidance of the person, Jesus. Hmm. Uh, and I think it's important that it's in that order. <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, these texts uh, are bearing witness to uh, and leading us to Jesus. And so, yeah, the point of the book is to lead us to a person. That's what you're saying. And I'm just, hmm. I'm, I'm affirming that. And that even Jesus sending out his followers into the world, his own words echo that logic that um, it's, it's about what he's doing and the texts are, are meant to guide us to him. Running low on time here, Tim, just yes. maybe one last question. Yeah. What's up next for the Bible Project? When you guys look out on uh, the, the future here, what, what are your plans? Do you have any long-term visions for what you and John and the whole team are, are hoping to do next? Yes, we just want to keep creating this big, expansive library of resources that invite people into whatever their next step is with engaging the Bible. And so we're going to keep making video content 
uh, like, like we have been, about books of the Bible, the themes uh, in the Bible, vo- the words, vocabulary in the Bible. Um, we are piloting a new series um, in the next year that we're just calling Visual Commentary. And you know, m- many people will go to a bookstore and get a commentary on the book of Genesis in book form. What we want to experiment with is creating uh, short visual commentaries um, that are in 2D animation just for every chapter of the Bible. And so uh, we're excited about that. Oh, that sounds incredible. Yeah. If you need any test dummies, uh, <laughs> I'll give you my email. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, totally. Because again, the visual medium is so great for showing yes, like yeah. the literary design uh, or the literary techniques of a certain part of the Bible, but then also for summarizing the main ideas. And so we're excited about that. Another thing we're doing is, is not animated videos, but, uh, but actually experimenting with a class, like an online class room where we're holding live classes here at the studio with a small hand-selected group of students who are really diverse. We try and get people from all different ends of the theological Christian spectrum, uh, different ethnicities and cultures, and we put six of us around a table and we go through a book of the Bible. And uh, then it gets turned into an online class learning experience. And we're going to have classes that go anywhere from one hour to 12 hours of content on books of the Bible and themes in the Bible. So we have a beta version out right now, and uh, it's free online, and uh, we're excited about it. But we'll see. Uh, It's going to go live in January 2021 with a few classes, and we're going to add to it and just see, see if our audience finds it valuable, and then we'll go forward. From there, I just love teaching the Bible, <laughs> and I love learning uh, by teaching the Bible with gr- groups of people, and so um, we're just uh, trying to recreate that, and uh, and then we'll begin to in- invite in other teachers and professors, and hopefully create another library of kind of deeper level engagement in a classroom form on the Bible. Tim Mackey, I can't thank you enough for your investment. We've benefited so much from your work. I can't thank you enough. You're so welcome. It's been an amazing journey. We're just feel really grateful. If you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure you subscribe to the Lighting a Fire podcast so you don't miss an episode. As always, feel free to email me with questions or ideas at bruss, B-R-U-S-S, at hollandchristian.org. In partnership with Christian Schools International, This is Lighting a Fire.